Welcome to your doom. Hello everybody and welcome to That's The Issue, uh, the kind of podcast that gets to know you through the issues that you love. Uh, my name is Matt Loon, uh, I'm one of your hosts, the other host is Wes Messer. Wes, how are you doing tonight? Quite well, sir, how about you, Matt? And by the way, everybody, not a Secret Empire podcast! Yes, finally, we're not a Secret Empire podcast. <laughs> um, and this was uh, this was starting to concern me because we've done three episodes straight now of Secret Empire. Um, four. Four, four, yeah, four. four. Oh. Yeah, I'm even losing track of all all known time now. Uh, But anyway, we are not a Secret Empire dedicated podcast, um, although we are surprisingly getting drawn into it. Um, And to to prove that, we have a very special guest with us this evening uh, to talk about their new Kickstarter project. Uh, You may know him from, wow, loads of things, really. Uh, So many He does a number of podcasts. He does uh, Journey into Misery, uh, does uh, Zero Hour, and he does the Monster Society of Comics. Uh, He was a writer and editor of the uh, sadly gone but not at all forgotten Comics Alliance, uh, and he now writes for Polygon and CBR. Um, His name is Kieran Shiak, and he's joined us this evening. Welcome, Kieran. Thanks for having me. I think maybe people might expect this to be a Secret Empire podcast, considering how like attached to that series, like my career has been this year. But <laughs> really? I can have an hour away from it to talk about yeah. some really good comics. I know, and I feel like just mentioning, just like kind of bringing up uh, Secret Empire means that we're already at like risk of getting drawn into it. Like we're kind of orbiting it slightly. <laughs> Um, oh. So um, <laughs> I had to make the joke, man. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, you had to. I, I don't know, like, I, well, you probably don't know, Kieran, but we we've been doing this for a little while, but we kind of took a hiatus for about eight months, and then since we came back, all we've done is Secret Empire, and I kept saying we need to actually get guests on the show and go back to what we were what we were doing before. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to like I've been talking about the Secret Empire for over twelve months now, going back to the original reveal. So, really? Yeah, I, I wrote about the original review of Comics Lines. The, the oh, day wow. Happened, so, yeah, I've, I've been covering it for a long time. I've covered it for Comics Lines, for CBR, for Polygon, for The Guardian. So I'm, I'm excited to just talk about my, my favourite writer, one of my favourite single issues of comics. And my Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And your Kickstarter, of course. So, yeah, so let's yeah. start with your Kickstarter then. So, um, Mossy, number one, um, you're, you're doing the writing on it, and uh, Tracy Shepard is on the art. Um, so, yeah, tell us all about it. Mossy is a 20 pages, all ages, comedy horror adventure comic about a little girl named Sam who is like obsessed with monsters and cryptids and folklore and all that sort of stuff. And she wanders into the swamp near her home and gets a bit lost and discovers an, an aspect of the swamp that's kind of like a bridge to not just like one other world but like multiple other worlds of monsters and specifically stuff from folklore this is kind of like a font where all of those things originate so that's cool that's really cool in doing that i mean i may have just given away a bit a bit more than we uh, reveal in the first issue but uh, in doing (laughs) that uh, she runs into an eight foot tall swamp monster named mossy and they become friends 
and they work together to essentially keep the swamp safe and keep the bad monsters from crossing over into the real world. It's like it's kind of a it's a really open concept in that sense, isn't it? Because you can you can pull from any kind of folklore to fill the world or worlds that you're creating. So it kind of opens um, opens a lot of doors for you, really, kind of creatively, I imagine. Oh yeah, we have a we have a massive list of monsters and stuff we could use. Tracy, mm. who's the artist on it, Tracy penciled, inked, coloured, and lettered it. Wow. And, yeah, if you if you if you've seen the comic, I know you guys have seen it. It looks yeah. phenomenal. Like, oh if anything, like people should check it out just for Tracy's art. And one of the great things about it is it starts great, because we've been working on it for about eight months plus. You can oh see goodness. Tracy get better and better as the comic goes yeah, on. Yeah. So I was going to say, so like you you spent about eight months. Like, have you? Is it just been kind of constant conversations back and forth with you and her about like? you know, uh, characters and stories and, and ways you can go and stuff? Well, a lot of it was just big gaps where we weren't keeping up on it as much as we should have because like, I had mm. real-life stuff and Tracy had real-life stuff. I know at some point mm. Tracy was looking for work, Comics Lines got shut down, so I was looking for work. So just a, there was yeah, a bunch yeah. of real-world stuff that got in the way of it. But in terms of the monsters and the open concept... Tracy does an amazing blog on Twitter. Sorry. Tracy does an amazing blog on Tumblr called Critic Compendium, which is kind of like fact files about these really, really, really obscure creatures from folklore, like specific cultures and their weird monsters from folklore. So not just like as cool as like mermaids and trolls and fairies are. These like specific variants on those based on culture. And Tracy does like real like big deep dives into them, so she'll draw them and then write like a like a fact file about them, which is one of the first things I came across of her works, and that kind of spawned into the mossy concept in the first place. So using the Critic Compendium, we've got a massive archive of monsters to play with. Yeah, you've already kind of got like a, an encyclopedia ready to go. Yeah, and one of the, one of the stretch goals actually is to do kind of Critic Compendium style stuff as like backup material but mm. in universe to the comic because Sam has a blog where she writes about monsters and stuff so uh, the, the idea if we hit the stretch goal we're going to do kind of like you know who's who of the DC Universe guidebooks the Marvel Universe sort of stuff yeah we'll like a mossy handbook <clears throat> yeah because there's a bunch That's of awesome. background characters in the first issue that like a lot like I trust Tracy complicitly and all the stuff in the background she just does on her own one day she's going to realise that she does not need me and it's going to be a terrible day for me but if I just (laughs) (laughs) that was going to be my next question yeah like how um, how much input do you do you have with like the monsters are you are you kind of letting her letting her go with that and just kind of saying Mossy is a swamp monster and then like letting her design design everything for it and you know i assume you'll have more monsters in later issues and you just kind of say insert monster here kind of thing or have you got like a bit of an idea of what kind of style you want to go for mossy's design is detailed and there's specific aspects of it that mm-hmm. are very important to future stories there's stuff that you won't see for an issue or two in terms of mossy's design and what she can do and the kind of it's going to be a six issue story altogether and it all mm-hmm. kind of revolves around who Mossy is 
and why she is supposed to look after the swamp. So we like, we know a lot about Mossy that you're not going to know for a while. Hopefully we get to finish the series, the Kickstarter yeah. for the first issue, but we have plans for six issues going forward that will all be kind of self-contained stories, kind of, kind of in like a children's book format. Not in terms of like yeah. format, but in terms of like, I, I was tempted to not number them instead of being Mossy number one, Mossy number two, Mossy number three. I was tempted to like kind of Harry Potter it. So it'll be like mm. Mossy and the like. Book. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, oh. The the title I was playing with for the first issue, we still might use it kind of in the credits page, would be Mossy and the Terrible Trolls. So <laughs> I love that. But the trolls themselves, they're not just trolls. They're a variant of trolls called Fardaric, who are like mm-hmm. Irish trickster trolls. They're kind of cousins to leprechauns. Mm. And these are real things from folklore. You can look them up on Wikipedia and stuff. That's so cool. That's oh. crazy. So I, I, I kind of, we kind of like leaned on the Irish stuff. And the, the three trolls, Mikey, Paddy and Cathy, they're named after my granddad, his twin brother, and my mum. As I come from family. I love it. I love and I love that there's, um, there's also like, yeah, there's there's a little cameo in, I'm not that I'm going to spoil anything, but there's a little cameo from your hamster Pablo as well. In there the is, issue. yeah. There is. I love that. That, that, was, in, that was in the script. <laughs> that was? That, that was in the script. That was there. Um, yeah. Some, that was something for my fiance to uh, get excited about. Now, a little tangent. Am I right in thinking you've got a house rabbit as well? We do. We got a rabbit. Um, if anyone listened to me on um, Warlock Ajax last week, they'll know all about the rabbit because we talked about <laughs> her for a bit too long. But yeah, oh. we have a rabbit called, uh, and comics related. Her name is Kirby. Uh, oh, we, got her, yes. we got her about six weeks ago, and oh, wow. she's named after the king. Like we, yeah. just, we decided on the name before we got the rabbit, and I think it kind of works as a unisex name. Yeah, definitely. It. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got a house rabbit as well. Um, I had um, I had two, uh, but one died about um, well, about three or four months ago now. Oh, I'm sorry. And um, it's it's weird because we had um, little tangent. We had uh, Binky for three years, um, and then we bought another one um, to go as a bit of a companion for her. Um, and then um, Binky had some some troubles and, and passed away, and we're still we've still got Bumble now, and she's six months old. Um, and but she has kind of free reign of the house under supervision um, but very quickly you have to um, we've had to kind of block off under the couch because she'll go under the couch and she won't come out um, I have zero wires in the house that are not chewed um, in oh, some yeah. capacity and she tends to go like she, she has a sixth sense for the most expensive wires so she'll get like the iPhone cables and she'll just start chewing on them and uh, to the point where I have to kind of hold it funny in order to charge properly now which is frustrating but um, but yeah it's really cool I don't, I don't know anyone else that has a house do you, do you, have, do you have carpet? Yeah. yeah yeah we've got carpet we've got like tiles in the in the hallway mm-hmm. which she's not a fan of because she cannot make a quick escape on tiles yeah, well, uh, she have, skids like but like roadrunner but yeah, we have laminate so kirby oh, wow. is just like she just refu- we have we have laminate but we have a rug with a coffee table in the middle so she sticks to the rug and she likes to like circuit it <laughs> so, like when, when she gets when she gets really happy, she starts binking and going really fast. Yeah. She'll like zip around in like a circle, and like run into a cage and run back out of the cage and zip around. And occasionally, it's one of those coffee tables 
that um, has like a gap in the middle of it, so she'll like dive in, like th- straight through the coffee table up onto the couch background. But she quite likes yeah. having like it's almost like she has a track. Yeah. Because it occasionally will, like when, when we play D and D, we have a lot of wires because I bring I bring the computer downstairs because we play via Skype. Mm. Cool. So um, I bring the computer downstairs, and there's the microphone, and there's the speaker wire. So the coffee table comes off the rug to help yeah. put stuff on, and the rug goes further away so she can't get any wires. And she doesn't like it as much when she just has like a wide space, as much as she does having something to like act as a track. Yeah, to kind of navigate around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cute. Kirby will probably be in a future installment of uh, Mossy. Oh, funny. <laughs> well, that that brings us like back neatly because I thought we were going to wildly tangent off there for a minute. Um, but um, yeah, you were you were kind enough to um, to grant us the first issue of um, of Mossy number one, so we could have a read of it. Um, and Wes, what were your what were your thoughts about the first issue? I really dug it, especially in the midst of of like the kind of like in the midst of all the comic stuff and everything else. Sometimes you just, it's kind of nice to have a comic that's just such a pure, unadulterated joy to read. This made me smile the entire time I was reading it. I love the design of Mossy. Tracy's design is a thing of beauty. That design is like my freaking, I love that stuff because cause it kind of kind of gave me that old, like kind of like, like the classic man thing or swamp thing, but a nice little new twist on it. And I freaking adored it. Like that, and, I'm, and I also love those sort of stories anyway. I'm a sucker for it. like I'm a I'm, I'm always I'm kind of like an oddball big fan of Man Thing and Swamp Thing. People are probably going, "You're a, you're Man Thing?" Yeah, I am. I I I've I've read I've read my fair share of Man Thing thanks to like Steve Gerber over the years. So it's yeah. kind of like so well, yeah. Um, Man Thing is Tracy's favorite character. Really? Yeah, and the 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 way Mossy started was I I knew Tracy because. The podcast that I do with my fiance, Journey into Misery. Tracy did some fan art for it. She, I can't remember exactly what she did, but she did a couple pieces of fan art, and then we commissioned her to do a print for us that was Master Pandemonium, but instead of babies for hands, he has me and Helen just kind of waving. <laughs> yeah. And then from there, I was like, okay, I really like Tracy. We get on. I'd love to work with her on a comic. So I, I knew her for a, I knew her a little bit. I knew she did Critical Compendium, and for a while on her personal Tumblr as a, like a drawing exercise, she did Man-Thing Mondays, where she draw Man-Thing every week. Yes! <laughs> so I knew I wanted to work on something that kind of had like monsters and creatures and like swamps and stuff like that. But I also really wanted to do an all-ages project because I wanted yeah. the, the first comic that I do to be something that I can give to my cousin who was like 11 going on 12 at the time. Aww. She's 13 now. I wanted something I could give to her or something I could give to my nan who I'm really, really close with. I wanted my first comic to be something I could just have anyone read. So those two kind of things, like the stuff I wanted to work on with Tracy and the stuff I wanted to do just for my first comic kind of coalesced into this pitch that I gave Tracy, which was, and Mossy's evolved way beyond this originally, but the original pitch and kind of the elevator pitch still as like an easy way to explain what Mossy is, mm. is Calvin and Hobbes, if Hobbes is yes! one thing. <laughs> That's, uh, that is a cool idea. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And do you know what it reminded me of as well? It it gave me when I was reading the first issue, um, which I'm exactly the same as Wes. I thought it was I thought it was really like kind of 
um, warming, like uh, kind of really gave you a good feeling, kind of uplifting, kind of kind of issue. Um, and what it reminded me of was the BFG because I remember reading that when I was a kid and like loving the idea of just kind of this kind of gentle giant kind of taking you on adventures and things and just kind of being wrapped up in another world Um, and it it really reminded me of that and like obviously Tracy's art as well is you know there's again not you know no spoilers but there's a page where um, Sam is being taken through you know being on like mossy shoulders and they're navigating through like his realm or a the a realm one of the realms and you see uh, the, so just just to correct you uh, mossy is female mossy sorry mossy is female and um like on her shoulders and she's taking sam through this world and the backgrounds and the and the flora and fauna and all the animal life there is just kind of captivating you know you could spend issues just dedicated to those panels it's it's fantastic yeah that page is actually on the kickstarter if you go to the kickstarter oh, page brilliant. and scroll down uh, you can find it there if you want to see it. That's my favourite page by a long, long... Well, oh, cool. not by a long shot, because more, but that's my absolute favourite page. Yeah. That's what I was talking about when I said, like, Tracy just draws all these background stuff. And when we do... It, hopefully, when we get a chance to do the, the guidebook kind of thing, I want to pick out some of those designs and give them some sort of background. Mm. There's one character that I really love that's in... That's page 9. So I think it's in page 11, um, where you first see the treehouse... Yep. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, like there's a there's a bunch of stuff uh, going on in the treehouse. There's a bunch of like Easter eggs. You can see Mossy. Uh, Mossy's picking up one of the books from Gravity Falls. Stuff like that. Oh. Um, in, in the background, in the background, there's a little pink purple orb with legs, just kind of like jauntily strutting. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, I can see. I that. I only noticed that like last week. That's great. And I said to Tracy. That guy is coming back. Yeah, yeah. I'm yes. doing something with that guy. Like, I love that. I love that. That's the. Cool so Tracy's fantastic for monster designs. Yeah, that's the cool kind of back and forth that you're going to get. You know, because she obviously, you know, Tracy's obviously inspired by your writing to to create these worlds. But then you're mm-hmm. conversely inspired then by the world she creates for you, I guess. Yeah, uh, it's the collaboration process. You hear people talk about it all the time. Mm. You see writers on Twitter say like, "Oh, there's nothing better than getting an email that has." like new art in it and it's so true whenever I get a page of Tracy especially like I said before you can see her just getting better and better and better mm. as the comic goes on so when you like when you get those pages it's like it makes my day I, I love getting new art from Tracy I can't wait to start work on like issue 2 and 3 and the one I'm really looking forward to is issue 5 I can't wait to get Oh, I love when writers I say that. that. It's so teasing, but I do love that when writers say that because you're just like, oh, I can't wait for issue five now. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't say anything more about it. No, no. Well, it's like, I really would want to like, kind of brag about what we have planned, but I can't say anything about it. We need to get issue totally. one out there first. One thing you were um, saying before we started recording was um, was the idea of being on the other side of things now. So you know you've spent a long time, um, you know, comics criticism, comics um, comics journalism generally. Um, so how is it feeling now that you're kind of you're in the creator space? It's it's still it's still really weird because most of the people that have read the comic are friends and peers who like I've known for a while and whose work I respect. So it's a bit different. And like you guys, like we've been talking for like 20, 30 minutes now. You guys are my friends now. But at the start, at the start, Aww. 
<laughs> at the start of the episode, like before we were recording, when you were saying how much you enjoyed it, that was a new feeling for me because you guys are the first people who like I didn't already know who have read it. Oh wow! Really? Um, yeah. Ha! That's awesome. Oh, really? It's honored. Yeah. I'm totally honored, man. Because like everyone else who's read it, and I'm so thankful for it. Are people who like blow up doesn't said nice thing like. Steve Orlando, Sarah Grayley, Jamie Whiteley, Benita Serino, Adam Nave. I know uh, Daniel Kipplesmith read it and really liked it. A, a bunch of people Something in comics really who work I really do respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I pulled out like all the stops to <laughs> get it. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to have like the friends that I do within the comics industry, like the contacts that I do to kind of pull in those favors. And I'm so thankful that people like me enough to give it a shot and let me know what they think. So I'm grateful to Steve and Sarah and Jeremy and Adam and Benito and Daniel and like Tina Howard, like Max Visaggio, like a bunch of people who have read mm-hmm. it and not just like said nice things, but like pushed it on Twitter, like Josh Williams. And like, it's bonkers to me because like, I'm such a massive fan of The Flash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Flash is like my, my favorite along with Superman. and. Like not only do I like, and it sounds so like name dropping, and I kind of hate it. But not don't only like, don't feel bad, man. <laughs> it's awesome. No, we're loving it. Not, yeah. only do, not only like, do I know the guy who's writing the Flash? Like he helped, like he retweeted the Kickstarter and like encouraged people to buy it. And like Steve Orlando and Jamie Whiteley gave gave us blurbs. They're the guys writing Justice League of America and the Avengers. <laughs> it doesn't get more high profile than yeah, that. Yeah, that so is it, awesome. It, like I don't think I'll ever, ever, ever like kind of lose perspective, or I hope I don't. Like I don't have any idea of like a successful career in comics, whatever that is. I don't see myself writing for Marvel or DC anytime soon. Mm. But I think if I did, like every day would still I'd be waking up going like, man, can you believe I'm doing this? It's I think I'll always remain a fan at heart of just like of comics. Yeah, and it was funny when you mentioned Josh. This is when I said name. When I remember the name, I'm like way long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away in a pot in podcast many, many years ago. Josh is like one of the first people I interviewed on a podcast, so that's why I was like, oh yeah, wow, yeah. Josh is what Mike. He was when this. This is when he was writing. Um, oh gosh, the his, his book, his first book for Image, way before he got. Was it Nailbiter? Um, or was it before Nailbiter? Way before Nailbiter. It was Xenoholics. Oh, okay. And that was that was the book. And I remember I had I had I meant I said on I like I had said on Twitter like I was like I really like this book. And somehow we struck up like an oddball conversation on Twitter. And like I was a podcast I was doing way back in the day. He messaged and I kind of arranged an interview with him. I was like one of his like early interviews, and that's why I was like, Josh is a really cool dude. That's and he still follows me on Twitter to this day. I'm still like, and. Like whenever I post something on like wrestling or something random, he'll like it every once in a while, and I go, "Oh, that's right." Yeah, I, he follows me on Twitter still. That is so freaking amazing. So yeah, sorry, sorry for that, Kieran. Just uh, so Josh is fantastic. He Josh is an uh, ace. Is an awesome dude. I, I've been waiting for like a good like Flash comic for ten years, so I'm so grateful to him for like how good the Flash currently is. Exactly, man. And it's Justice and the story he in this that Justice League Suicide Squad crossover he did. Yeah, that was that the was best. A... That was the best event DC have done since Final Crisis. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was fun. It it got everything it needed to do, and it set up so many cool possibilities. And I went, I went. That is so awesome. I 
He's one of those dudes, whenever I see him pop up on something, I'm like, I am so happy for that guy. That is awesome. Like, someone that I that I knew that I somehow got an oddball, like, even slight, like, association with at one point or another, that he's gone this far in comics and doing so many so much awesome stuff. I just smile. So, mm-hmm. when you mentioned his name, I just, when you mentioned his name, Kieran, I just smile. I went, that's cool. That is really cool. Yeah, Josh is great, and, like, I'm really, really thankful that he's helped, like, push the Kickstarter. Exactly. Um, so... Tell us about the uh, tiers on Kickstarter then. So people want to back Mossy. Um, what uh, what kind of things, um, what kind of levels are they looking at getting in at? We have multiple different digital and physical rewards because I know some people don't want like, some people just don't like physical media, some people don't want to pay for postage. Also, so it's perfectly valid. So we wanted to offer like a good balance between digital and physical. So first reward is kind of just the usual thing that everyone does for Kickstarter, which is like one pound, Thanks. Mm. Like thanks for backing us. No one's taken us up on that. Everyone has gone for a high one. I think it's always good to have that option of like the one pound thanks. Like you always see it. Yeah. It's our first Kickstarter. It seemed it's kind of just like like the be my baby drumbeat of Kickstarters. Like everyone uses it. Uh, Two pounds is the PDF of Mossy, which is done completely. As soon as we get the backer surveys in, then we'll be sending those PDFs off. Four pounds is the physical issue which is a 20 page comic if we hit the stretch call it'll be longer we don't know how long how much longer yet. it depends on how well we do but it'll be at least a 20 page comic full colour by me and Tracy of Mossy and a pair of stickers as well one with the cover art and one with the logo and the postage on the postage on all the physical stuff is £1 in the UK and £5 international which I think is I think it's as reasonable as we can make it that's I really good yeah it's really reasonable. Com- compared to a lot of like international postage, I think it's really good. Like I, I want to stress as well. Like we spent a month. Like Mossy was done a month before the podcast, before the Kickstarter launched, pretty much. Oh wow! We spent a month just working on the Kickstarter to make oh, sure wow. it was like as tight and as perfect. So if you look on the Kickstarter, like there's a little graph of like estimates how much stuff's going to cost. Postage, like the physical issue and postage take up about the same because mm. uh, we wanted to make sure that we don't underestimate ourselves with that but also with that postage thing I'm going to just like buy a printer and buy digital scales so I can mm. mail everything from home because it's cheaper to do it that way yeah yeah oh yeah so like we've, we've thought about everything so if you're worried about postage I think the postage is pretty reasonable for the stuff that you're getting uh, so £6 is the physical issue oh I should say as well Every, every tier higher than two pounds comes with the PDF. So if you back the physical issue, while you're waiting for the physical issue to come to you, you'll have the PDF to read if you want. Oh, that's cool. So six pounds really cool. is the PDF, the physical issue, the stickers, and a pair of badges with original art. There's a selfie of Sam and Mossy. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's one picture of Sam and one picture of Mossy, but when you like put them together, it's like a linked image across two badges. That's great. We worked really, really hard on the Kickstarter to make it kind of worth people's uh, money. The £15 level is another digital-only level. It's a digital commission, like a digital portrait, like a like a display picture for Twitter or something. There's some examples on the Kickstarter, but Tracy is going to be taking commissions to draw you either like a picture of your pet or like a display picture for whatever social media you need. I've got a couple from Tracy. I've got my usual one, which you can see in the Kickstarter. It's the bottom middle one of the nine panel grid of 
digital portrait. Oh, I thought I recognised that face. And I have like a Halloween one that's me as a Bizarro. Oh yes. Wow. Is that the one you use for uh, Monster Society of Comics? No, that's a that's a separate ah. one. Tracy also did, Tracy did also do the art for Monster Society of Comics. Oh, brilliant. But I, I commissioned, the Bizarro one was actually the first one I commissioned, mm. and then I liked it so much, I was like, I want, I basically said to Tracy, can you just do that again, but normal, for my <laughs> regular avatar. But the Monster Society one was when me and Elle Collins, who's my co-host on that, decided, okay, we, the cover should be like, me and you as like comics monsters, mm. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a Bizarro, what do you want to be, Elle? And instantly Elle said that they wanted to be a thing, as in Ben Grimm. Yeah. So uh, there are two separate images of me as a Bizarro. But yeah, if you back us at £15, you'll get that digital commission, which I, I think it's a really good way to support us digitally and kind of bump up the overall tally to get us closer to it. Because I know a lot of people like want to help us, so we wanted to give some like digital rewards mm. to get people easy ways to help us bump it up. So I've been really trying to push the... Fifteen pound tier recently. Yeah, and getting a personal commission from an artist like Tracy as well for fifteen pound, yeah. and you get the PDF of the issue. That's pretty good. At twenty pounds or more is our first combo pack, which is everything previous that I mentioned. So it's the PDF, it's the physical issue, it's the stickers, it's the badges, and it's a digital commission by Tracy. At twenty five pounds, it's every pretty much everything I've said, not the not the digital thing. It's like a completely physical one plus the PDF so it's the issue the badges the sticker stickers and a print of the cover that you can frame it's going to look really nice we're going to get it like as glossy and as gorgeous as we can make it that's going to look really really good £40 or more is another digital level which is the PDF and a full commission so if you go to the website you can see a bunch of commissions Tracy's done. There's a Starfire one that's really good. Yeah. There's the Journey to Misery one of me and Helena as Master Pandemonium's hands. <laughs> so, and Tracy usually charges £50 for her commissions. So for £40, you can get a full commission and the PDF. And for £60 or more is the second combo pack. So that's everything I just mentioned minus the small commission. Mm. So it's the PDF, it's the badges, the stickers, the print, and a full digital commission by Tracy. And the last two ones are limited to 15 each. Currently, there's 12 of the £40 and 11 of the £60 ones left. How, how long did it take you to come up with like the prices for those? About a week of like back and forth yeah. with like a Google Docs spreadsheet trying to figure stuff out and make sure everything worked and making sure that like later tiers weren't cheaper than earlier tiers when you looked at it from the right angle. One thing that always stands out to me is people always say running a Kickstarter is like a full-time job and it kind of is. Mm. You kind of always have to keep your eye on it. So we did put a lot of work into making sure this was like the best Kickstarter it could be to make sure people get value for money because obviously we want to get funded but we want, we want people to want the thing that we're providing and we want people to enjoy the thing that we're providing because ultimately we, we want this story out there like the money is a secondary thing really to to get the thing in people's hands yeah so we want what people are paying to be worth what they're paying for and you want people to come back i assume for issue two exactly. and three and four yeah ab- absolutely so we're, we're we've got tentative plans for the future of it one of the things the kickstarter will do as well is it's going to allow 
Tracy the financial freedom to dedicate more time to it so it's okay. not an eight month turnaround on issue two. We're hoping to have issue two out by Halloween at the latest. Oh, cool. Perfect, actually. Like, I want to like knock on wood there a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we'd, we'd really like to have like a new Mossy story by Halloween. That's great. Halloween themed? Am probably, I asking too much? Probably not. <laughs> no. It's, it's still in, like, the the structure of Mossy is more of a skeleton. To, that's not a pun. Uh, <laughs> like, we know, like... <laughs> so it is Halloween themed. I knew it. We know, like, which monsters are in which issues and, like, the the story beats we need to get to the end, but we also need, like, need to make sure that each issue works on its own. So we know, like, what issue two is going to be about, but we don't fully know. Like, it could change drastically, so it could end up being Halloween-themed. I'm sure Tracy will, like, hear this and twist my arm to Halloween-themed. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, like, I'm, yes. I'm that would be not- awesome. I'm not opposed to it, but I also, like, like I say, like I, I knocked on wood. Like as soon as I said we want to get it out by Halloween, I, I don't want to start working on a Halloween issue that ends up coming out in January. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you do kind of tie yeah, yourself exactly. into it then, don't you? Well, the the response to the the Kickstarter project has been has been fantastic. I mean, you you hit was it seventy five percent within the first week? Yeah, we hit we hit eighty percent in the first week, roughly like seventy nine, eighty, eighty one percent in the first week. So that we launched it on Tuesday last week, by like late night Monday this week we'd got to seventy five eighty percent, which was just like jaw dropping to be honest. Yeah. The the response that we've got to it has been phenomenal. We 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 couldn't be happier with how happy people seem to be, and like and the one thing I want to say is like there are certain people who like every time I say like every time I tweet like Mossy Kickstarter please share it to your friends see like. Like I, I I notice the people that are retweeting every yeah. time, and I can see the, I can see the people that are like really enthusiastic for the project, and I'm especially grateful to like I know people who follow me like uh, Chris Adelman and Cecilia and people mm. who are like have been fans of my work for ages. Like I always kind of think it's a bit pretentious as like a critic to say that anyone's a fan of my work, but whatever. it's not it's not pretentious. But, like, I imagine it I know feels strange. People, but I like I know I know like I can I can see very easily that there's people who are really excited for this and that it's thrilling yeah like, and that kind of that kind of really gives you that, that not only the confidence but kind of keeps you uh, it gives you the kind of excitement as well and you get more you get more into you know you want to make more i imagine then you want to just keep keep writing and keep writing yeah absolutely like as we're recording this now we're like 83 84 funded with three yep. weeks to go so i don't want to come i don't want to count my chickens no, but um I'm fairly confident that this will be a project that gets completed and gets fully funded. Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah. Like, anything can happen, so like I'm naturally a warrior. <laughs> I know Tracy's a lot less of a warrior, a lot less of a warrior than yeah. I am. Like Kickstarters do tend to kind of slow down a little bit in the middle, and then as the end comes up, people come back aboard. So it's just kind of, especially like when you have that first week and like my phone's lighting up all mm. the time, and then when your phone's lighting up less and less. It's just, it's not bad. It's just something you need to like reacclimatize yourself to. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose you've got to kind of keep it coming in waves, haven't you, really? And, and like make sure that you mm-hmm. you keep the momentum building and things like that, which 
you know, is all part of the process, I imagine. And it's a learning curve for the both of you, I imagine. Yeah, we've been setting like, like little goals where we'll say, okay, if we get to this level, we'll release some more process art. So we released some process art of the treehouse that Mossy lives in. It's kind of the Urzat's nexus of realities from Man Thing. It's essentially the same thing, but in this big, fantastical, like, crystalline treehouse. Uh, and that's like when you see in that panel where there's all those different Easter eggs, it's because they've like fallen through the portal, kind of like that episode of The Simpsons where they throw the trash into the portal. Yeah. Um, wow. That's kind of the, that's kind of the idea. So we release process art for the trials, and this, anyone can go see this. If it goes to Kickstarter and go on the updates page, it's not just for people who already backed it. it like anyone can see it. So if you if you go there, we released stuff for the treehouse we released when we, I think when we hit I think when we hit 1500 or it might have been earlier than that we released process art for Mossy herself and you can see how she went from kind of being this she started out a lot more animalistic and I think Tracy compares her to uh, like a I can't what kind of breed of dog it is but she saw her as like more of an animal type of being but it was important to me that she was a lot more humanoid and less scary than those early designs. Mm. So you can see the evolution of Mossy across like that a is couple so of freaking months. cool. Oh yeah. And we've got we've got if we get to seventeen fifty, we're gonna release process art for the Far Darick, the trolls, uh, Paddy, Mikey and Kathy. <laughs> so we got to seventeen fifty, didn't we? Yeah we're gonna do we're gonna do that tomorrow, I believe. Oh brilliant. So that should Hopefully, when you listen to this, that'll be up some process art yeah, yeah. for the trolls. And then if we hit 2,000, we'll release process art for Sam as well. This is so cool. Like as we, as as you've been mad, I've been I've been kind of letting you guys kind of have it, your chat because I've been kind of looking over. Like I've been I've been re-looking over the Mossy comic and looking over all the other stuff on the Kickstarter, and I've been looking over this Moss, the Mossy progress, and I'm like, this is so cool. If you if the audience could not hear me say so cool, <laughs> like a Mossy's design, like I, I, I totally fell for Mossy's design. And also, one other cool thing. Sam as a character is such infectiously awesome. Like, her like, her design in general, like, and, like, the, the general expression that Tracy gives her and the general, like, and, like, in your writing, Karen, how you, like, give her, like, the, like, kind of, like, you both, like, bring such a life into her. And this is the sort of thing, like, if this was, like, would have been, like, an animated series as a kid, and admittedly even adult me, I would watch the heck out of this as an animated <laughs> series, and I would, as I would read, so this is something that, if I would have discovered as a kid, and found it in a comic book store, I would have been like, I want that! Mom! Dad! Buy me that! <laughs> so, yeah, or give me my allowance so I can buy it, so like, seeing this on TV, or seeing it as a comic book, or what, anything, this is something that I just went, oh man, I really would have glommed onto this as a child, and I glom onto it as an adult now, so. Yeah, with some, uh, something I know Tracy mentioned recently that Sam is kind of like the embodiment of that feeling when you're a child and you, f- you feel invincible and you don't quite realise how scary things are and like th- things are going to get scarier for Sam like it's an all ages book but wow. I kind of want it to be the sort of thing where like you know how like when you read Harry Potter and you kind of like grow up I don't know about you guys like I'm, I'm 27 I kind of grew up with Harry Potter and as I got older the books kind of Matured and things got scarier. Yeah. It's ne- it's never not going to be all ages, but it, things are going to get scarier for Sam. But we kind of wanted her to represent that kind of like childhood feeling of immortality. But also one of the bi- one of the big influences 
is earlier, um, Matt, you mentioned the BFG. Oh, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't say the BFG is a direct influence, but the influence is more kind of those wish fulfillment stories. Mm. So the BFG, like Hogwarts, um, Captain Marvel slash Shazam, mm-hmm. and one that was always big for me as a kid was the X-Men. Just because like, my wish fulfillment as a kid was... Like I really wanted to like manifest mutant powers and like get out, get called yeah. to the Xavier School. So like this is this is Sam's wish fulfillment is like she learns that this thing that she like believes in is real and gets to like spend every day after school there. So there is that kind of it's really neat element of it to her character. Karen, when you mentioned X Men, like I was. There was this old contest that some that one of our local kids kids shows kids stations did like, because we had the kids clubs in the U.S. back in like eighty and like around like like around the nineties. So we had kids clubs all over the place, and and I actually had a contest like pick your favorite X Men and you might win a contest. So and I pick I want to be Cyclops. I'm like I realize something now. I was probably one of the most few diehard Cyclops fans on the planet. It's like everyone else probably picked Wolverine and me like. I like Cyclops because he shoots cool laser beams out of his eyes. So that's why when you mentioned X-Men, I went, oh, man, yeah. I I fully relate with the mutant powers because I think I wanted a mix of Cyclops and Nightcrawler. Like, cool laser beams and teleportation. Like, yeah, I, give me that. I'm groovy. I, I, I like, glommed onto Nightcrawler a bit later, like, when X-Men 2 came out. But yeah. like my, my entry into X-Men was the cartoon. Yeah. Which, like, Nightcrawler wasn't really in that much. So, the the X-Men that I was related to most when I was a kid was Beast. But oh, Beast is awesome. The powers that I wanted were Cyclopses. Really? Yeah. I'm not alone! <laughs> yes! But, but I like Beast because, like, I was one of the, you know, like, kind of from, like, our generation, the, the dreaded, like, the gifted child who, like, has all the expectations foisted upon them. Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're this, they're like, I reckon it's not a unique thing. I don't want to make it sound like a unique thing. There's so many, like, people like my age and around that age that had that kind of experience. So I kind of, like, uh, related to Beast as, like, this super smart guy who was an outcast. There was, like a, like, a visible outcast, but didn't care. And also the Nightcrawler bit is actually from... I think it's part, also partially from the fact that I played the... Uh, the Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive game, um, X Men, all like a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I owned that game, and like I think it was like my regulars were like a mixture of like Nightcrawler, and I also played the X Men arcade game. So it was sort of like Nightcrawler was one of my regulars on that game too. I think it was like Nightcrawler and Cyclops, like the two characters I played the most in that game. And so yeah, I well we're we're going on a lot of wild like conversation <laughs> threads here, but. Yeah, the Beast bit. I I think I got into Beast more as time went on. As Beast is one of those characters that I found myself glomming onto. Like I, I actually found myself really becoming more like I loved him in X Men, but then when I got to see him later on and like like when I got back into comics and seeing like Kurt Busiek do some writing of Beast in the event in the Avengers run, that's when I went, whoa! It's all come together now. I am now I am now a hyper big Beast fan now. My, my favorite X Men characters now are Legion. Uh, Sunspot and Cable. So yes. Not 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 the character. Not the characters. Really, although Cable was a big part of that TV show. And my favorite X Men characters are kind of characters that are mutants, but not really like X Men. Like Cable was on that team, uh, like the Mike Carey team, uh, but mm-hmm. he was never he was never really like 
a member of the X-Men aside from that. I like Legion. Well, I, I, this is how much I like Legion. I don't like saying Legion. I, I always call him David. Mm-hmm. Because in X-Men Legacy, like he talks about how much he hates being called Legion. Yeah, yeah. So David, David Haller is my favourite. And then Sunspot. I like Sunspot because he's the best Avenger. He is! He's very... He really is! Al Ewing's current work with him is just is awesome. I just liked seeing Bobby DeCosta like kind of on the top of his game and just like always yeah. one one, two or three steps ahead of absolutely everyone. It's awesome. And the the stuff that Hickman did in Avengers and New Avengers in the Time Runs Out arc where there's this big it's kind of like Civil War one point five between like Old Man D. Rogers and the Illuminati. Oh, yeah. And then it ends up being Sunspot coming in and being like I'm the guy that still believes in the mission of the Avengers. Quit playing around and let's be Avengers together. Yeah. And that was the moment where like, oh, okay. This, this like he's the Avenger. Yeah. He embodies the spirit of the Avengers. Oh, I get so cool. Did you watch the Legion TV series? I did. I really enjoyed mm. it. Like as long as I was like, okay, this is a TV show. The character is also called David Haller. His dad is also probably Charles Xavier. Yeah. But aside from that, He's nothing like the David Haller who's your favourite character. Mm. It's fine. That separation. Which is like, it's not a hard thing to do. It's not some great struggle. Like, I, I can accept multiple versions of things. It's, But yeah, I, I really, really loved it. I have a theory for season two that I'm like, I think about every day and I'm crossing my fingers. Comes true. Ah, see, I've not got to uh, the end of series one yet. So I'm going oh, to yeah, I'm gonna have to I'm get that theory off you in the future. I'm going to get the end of it and yeah. I'll message you about it yeah give, give, me, give me a shout when you do because I'm fairly confident about it but uh, I'm really really excited to see where it goes they're, they're like sitting on my DVR and I just need to sit down and watch them yeah that, that's exactly what I've done as well like I've got them and like I I think to myself oh I've got a spare hour I can watch one but then I think no I don't want to do that I want to watch as many as I can in a row because mm-hmm. like I feel like it, it needs that kind of immersion in it. I don't want to do anything but watch that show when I watch it. So I kind of, I don't want to rush it between doing two other things, you know. Exactly. Um, but anyway, so uh, Mossy number one, we'll talk about um, where people can find that near the end of the show. Uh, for now, we're going to move on um, to um, a another reason why we have guests on the show is to, uh, as the tagline of this, uh, the podcast suggests, is to get to know them through the issues that they love. Um, and so we've asked, uh, we've invited Kieran on the show, and we've asked, uh, we've asked you, Kieran, to bring an issue, uh, a comic book issue, with you uh, that is significant or important in some way. Um, so, uh, can you reveal to the audience uh, what that issue is and why it's important to you? Uh, this issue is Animal Man number twenty-six by Grant Morrison, Chaz Trug, Mark Farmer, John Costanza, and Tatiana Wood. Uh, it's titled Deus Ex Machina. And this is the issue where Buddy Baker, Animal Man, meets Grant Morrison and have a conversation about the nature of stories, the nature of superhero comics, and a writer's role in the manipulation of a character's lives. I'm so I picked this one because Morrison is my favourite writer by a wide stretch. And this kind of... It was a really hard choice choosing like a single issue because like, I, I don't have the best memory. <laughs> I, le- le- like Legitimately, like... My, my memory has been quite bad this year, so I, I struggled to think of something. It was ultimately it was between this and fifty two number forty two. Oh wow! Which is Whoa. the uh, the Ralph Dibney versus Felix Faust issue. 
Ah, okay. Well, in uh, the set in the Tower of Fate. But a lot of that was because like I couldn't think of anything else, and I'll probably think of a bunch of other stuff afterwards. On, but I chose this because Morrison is such an influential writer for me, and just creator and just like artist in general. I mean, it's a hard. And um, I think it's a hard question to begin with. Sorry to interrupt you. I think like it's me and Wes have talked about this before because my my kind of concept for the show was just like yeah we'll get people on and they'll name an issue and Wes sometimes says to me but it's okay if they say a series or a volume and I'm like yeah yeah but also or a graphic novel novel, yeah but I always go yeah yeah but an issue but then like it is it is literally like saying what's your favorite movie or you know what's your favorite character or something because sometimes it's it changes daily um so I kind of I, I appreciate that it's uh, it's a difficult one because I think me and Wes on one of the first episodes we we bought an issue of a thing to the show to kind of test the waters for what kind of a question it was going to be and I remember thinking oh yeah this is this is way more difficult on this side of the question than on the other yeah. side yeah uh, like I'm happy with the one I brought because it kind of means a lot of different things and it was a good way to springboard into like, I don't like hijack the show in any way. I was like, oh, like it. Hi, Jack. Yeah, yeah, please. I can use this to kind of talk about Morrison as a creator, Morrison's influence to me. Yeah, yeah. And like my meta theory about Morrison's entire work at DC being like one large I'm story. I'm so glad you brought that up. My... This was one of the reasons I loved this. Uh, I loved you picking this issue because I was like, yes, I'm finally going to get to ask him about it. Have you heard me talk about that already? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I listened to um, Journey to Misery um, and mm. I've read uh, some of your articles that you did on Comics Alliance. Um, and in prep for this for this episode, I, I listened back to uh, your uh, episode that you did um, of Journey to Misery that you did, um, I think September last year, you did on Animal Man, um, the, whole, yeah. the whole run of it, um, which is also kind of why I'm glad you didn't pick that issue of 52, because I've not read that in years. And... I did think to myself, I'm going to have to, I'd have to read Autofat 52 or at least like scour through a Wikipedia article mm. to kind of bring myself up to speed. Whereas handily, you'd already provided the, um, the kind of the background with, uh, with that issue, with that episode of uh, Journey to Misery. So I was able to listen to that. Um, but then in that episode, you mentioned your kind of meta theory. Um, and it's something that I, I think I'm, I must have picked up from you when I read one of your articles about it. Cause I, I started reading through um, Animal Man and then um, I read through Doom Patrol um, and Flex Mentallo in the kind of trying to get through the sequence of, of the narrative that Grant Morrison has um, has weaved throughout the DC Universe. But um, for, for those listening, um, do you want to kind of explain it, um, what your what your theory is about Grant Morrison's work? Well, it, it's not so much like one large story with like one large narrative that has like a beginning, middle and end. It's more like a, like a thematic link between all of his DC Universe work and some non-DC Universe work, like Annihilator, can fall into this. Pretty much everything, bar Batman, and I say like, I say bar Batman, like Batman is like a significant chunk of his time there, so uh, it's like eight years. And I, I could, like I've got an argument to work Batman into it as well, although like I'm not fully convinced of it. Um, but pretty much of all of Morrison's work within the DC Universe at some point is about stories interacting with stories and a writer's responsibility with those stories and stories as a mean of like as like layers of reality what a story is to us is someone else's reality and we could very well be stories to like a higher reality it's kind of like hmm. like a planar system going down 
So I think the easiest way to explain that is with multiversity, mm-hmm. where in multiversity, the, the different universes basically communicate with each other through the comic books. Like what what happens in an issue of like the just, like that actually happens to them on Earth 16, but it's a comic to someone in Earth like 25 or whatever. And then you have like Captain Atom who can like flip between them, but like he, one thing is Captain Atom, and this is going on a massive tangent, that it's kind of one of my big, I don't know what it means, but that's that's the only like loose end Morrison left in the DC universe. Earth Four Captain Atom, he leaves Earth Four in um, Black Americana, but he doesn't come back. It, it's kind of like a, like a, like a, a loaded but unfired Chekhov's gun. Right. And I have my, my own thing where I'm like, oh man, what if he showed up in Doomsday Clock? But I don't I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, that's where that's how it works in multiversity. But in Animal Man, you've got. First of all, you've got issue five, I think, with Crafty, the Coyote Gospel, yes. which is about essentially Wiley Coyote crossing over from his cartoon world into the real world and like the horrors of the real world. But mm-hmm. also, it's not the real world because our world is the real world. And that issue ends with Crafty being killed, and then uh, you can see a hand coring in the blood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mind you, well, that's not real, this is real. Yeah. But I also have a theory that the cartoon world that Crafty's from, where he can never die, is the same world from Cap- that Captain Carrot is from in Multiversity. Right, okay. Son of a gun. <laughs> and then in Doom, in Doom Patrol, you have the Scissor Men, who are kind of fictional concepts brought to life. You have the Book of Unreality, or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. that kind of unmakes the world and brings about the uncreator. And you have, like most importantly, Flex Mentallo who is a comic book character brought yeah, to life. Yeah, he's the perfect embodiment of that, because he's from the old adverts, yeah. isn't he? From the old um, Muscle mm-hmm. Man adverts. Yeah. In Charles but, that's it, yeah. But in, in Doom Patrol specifically, he's the kind of OC, like original character, of a little kid who is, is brought to life by that kid's like latent metahuman abilities. But you can trace it through everything. There's stuff in, like... In Final Crisis, because that's kind of a multiversity thing. There's like the, the way Batman ties in is kind of with Barbatos, and the way like Barbatos is summoned as this concept. But it's kind of I have a tough time like squaring the circle of Morrison's Barbatos and the Peter Milliken Karen Dwyer Barbatos from Dark Knight Dark City. Those two stories don't quite line up in ways that I'm comfortable with. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, in stuff like The Invisibles has like the, in The Invisibles, which isn't a DC Universe work, but it has Grant Morrison and King Mob change places for yeah, a year. Switches with him. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't, I don't have the full thing on hand at the moment, but I had this big list of like every every Grant Morrison story in the DC Universe that's about stories. I don't have it to hand anymore because at one point I was planning on doing like an explain the X Men Lasso of Truth style podcast. Mm. It was just going to be about Morrison's DC work. That oh my gosh! You could it, fill an entire it, podcast series with it. Absolutely. Yeah. You really could. It, it, it never came to be. Like the, the first arc was going to be uh, the first volume, the first arc of Animal Man. So the first episode was going to be the first arc of Animal Man, but uh, it didn't come to be, unfortunately. 
It's one of those things kind of in the back burner, but I've got four podcasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you're not when you're and not like, doing four podcasts, then maybe. <laughs> like, we've we've done an we've done an Animal Man episode of Jane's Misery, we've done a Doom Patrol episode, we've done a Batman episode, we've done a Final Crisis episode. Like I'd just be kind of talking about the same stuff that we did in those episodes of Jane's Misery. But yeah, that is essentially like my grand theory of the Grant Morrison and the DC universe. One thing that I absolutely loved, and I was I had listened to the the uh, Animal Man episode today while I was working in the garden, and I had to stop what I was doing because I was laughing at um, at Helena's response because there's a, I don't know if you've listened back to that episode recently or whether you ever listened back. I, um, I, I know I think I know the moment you're talking about. Yeah, there's about. a moment um, where you're describing the the mystery. The, there's a mystery man that kind of. Um, pervades through the animal man series that you know uh, spoilers if you've not actually read it but um you know it turns out that it's it's buddy baker himself kind of going back through time to try and prevent his pet his family from being murdered um but there's a moment where helen is trying to figure it out and she says oh god it's not grant morrison in in his own comic book is it and you kind of keep quiet because you're like he's definitely not that and then later on, you, you know, uh, Buddy Baker in, you know, before this issue begins, like the cliffhanger before this issue, he opens the door to uh, to find that Grant Morrison stood there, and the uh, Helena's response when she when she finds out that it's actually it is actually Grant Morrison, she got it right. That just made me crease because it's just the idea of her like being like you, <laughs> because I've listened to it out of sequence as well. Like I didn't. She was, she was so close. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, close. and I didn't hear like I'd, I've heard them before, but I, I listened to this out of sequence, so I didn't hear the previous episodes where you talked about Grant Morrison, and so he's become this kind of swear word to her a little bit by the time it gets to this episode <laughs> because she's like, oh god, it's not Grant Morrison, and she says like her her brain's hurting by the end of it, trying to like unfurl this kind of knot of Grant. Morrison's narrative, it's fantastic. The Grant Morrison yeah. narrative. <laughs> yeah. that, that's one of my favourite moments of the whole show. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. I don't know how hard, like, so I'm cool. really, really bad at, like, I, I have a really, really bad poker face, so it was really, really hard to, just, like, plough through the episode when she made that guess. <laughs> yeah, she's so close to it as well. <laughs> oh, no. And what I love about the, like, going back to the, the, the big meta kind of story that or the meta themes that run through the stories rather is like the the concept of of kind of worlds within comic books within other worlds i mean that's not grant morrison's idea is it that kind of that that started like decades before in the dc universe the dc universe or the dc multiverse rather is kind of is built on that concept isn't it because of um you know, I'm 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 yes, telling the audience, I'm not telling you, yeah, because you know, yeah. you massive Flash fan. You know, it started back when Barry Allen met um, met Jay Garrick for the first time. Well, te- technically, uh, like, well, well, yeah, that's when the multiverse, that's but uh, the Flash number one twenty three, uh, the Flash two worlds. But technically, if you want to like get really like anal about it, you could say it started with um, like the first issue uh, where Barry Allen shows up. Because he yeah. isn't—he's inspired by his comic book hero Jay Garrick. Yeah, of course, yeah. So it'd be like showcase them. I, I, I should know which. I think it's showcase number four, uh, where Barry Allen first shows up. But st- could be like and still, eight, that was three, when what? What year was that now? Like, or that's—I mean, that's going. Like yeah, so that's going back like, you know, fifty, sixty years, seventy years at this point. It's—it's it's like, you know, so this kind of this idea of worlds within worlds is is ingrained in DC, in the DC universe in a way that Marvel 
you know, has never kind of touched that kind of concept. But like the way Grant Morrison has taken that idea and run with it is, you know, he's taken it leagues beyond what it could have, you know, what it obviously started out as. There are two Marvel universes within the DC multiverse. You're gonna to have to explain. Yep, that there one. is. I'm, I'm, that's that's lost me now. I'm starting to get that Helena's feeling of my uh, brain starting to hurt a little bit. I think Earth Eight is um, an analog to the regular Marvel universe, and Earth Seven is an analog to the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, because didn't they explore a little bit of that in Multiversity in a way? Yeah, in the, in the first issue of Multiversity, you see. Thank you. Yeah, because <laughs> one of them, one of them is ruined, which is where. Um, the Hammer's oh, name, the wow. Aboriginal Fall Analog. Yes. Uh, it's from. But there's also they also visit um, the universe of the Retaliators. Yes. Which is the, the Avengers analog who fight Lord Havoc. And there was a moment as well, yep. like. Yeah, the, the, right. the, there was a moment in Hickman's Avengers run as well where they come across a, a Justice League analog as well. Yeah, in Hickman's Avengers, there's the, um, the Great Society. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Mm hmm. Which has like Sun God and Doctor Spectrum and a bunch of other characters. I think you've just sent a lot of people on many journeys right now. We're always <laughs> like, imagine everyone's going, quick, find a copy of Multiversity stat. I think we need to reread it again. Like, or quick, let's find some Hickman Avengers. We need to reread that too because this gets deep. This gets like detailed yeah. really fast to start getting to like all the multiverses that are in, especially within like the DC universe. I mean, you can get. Scary, like that. I, I remember that was what became got me heavily in the DC for a period of time. Was like all the level of multiverses and all the different places that it goes. So, and Morrison was doing some heavy work in around that period. So I was just like, well, yeah, give me more of this craziness. I like I will gobble this up like a like a kid in a candy store. Give me more, please. Do you know about the secret uh, Marvel DC crossover from like the seventies? The secret one with. Um... With like like Steve Englehart and I think Len Wein. Yes, I'm sure you've mentioned the, that Wes on a previous episode. No, I have, but there's there's a really weird like crossover they did that it's like the sub Submariner crossing over into an Aquaman issue. No, that, that, that's not that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, sorry. There's sorry. sorry. Uh, what I'm talking about there's an issue. I can't remember what it is. I think it's like an issue of like Avengers or Defenders. And then, like an issue of Justice League, where oh, you, you go on, but I think I know where you're talking. I think I got it straight in my head now. But go on. There's essentially a, a bit in the issue. I could be getting this really wrong. It's all off the top of my head. Where analogs for the writers and artists of both issue, you see them in the in the Marvel issue, like get in a car and like drive off somewhere, just as like a, kind of like a background detail. And then in the Justice League issue, you see that their car has like crashed and they're like inspecting the damage but it's kind of like like a background kind of easter egg so thing. funny dude yeah i i i i cannot i cannot remember that whole thing i remember like the weird submariner aquaman thing but that wasn't a fit it's like but i could but that one yeah i couldn't i didn't remember that for the life of me that's awesome it's like when a uh, clock kent shows up in what's Adamson's thor there's, there's, there, this makes me think this is one of those things where it's like um, that Pink Floyd album like Dark Side of the Moon that kind of ties in with Wizards <laughs> of Oz it's just like 
whoever discovered mm-hmm. that it's like make when you when you're listening to it or when you see it that dark side of the rainbow you kind of think well what else is out there what other things are like this it's, this is exactly the same it's like you you see that you know if whoever first discovered who wasn't obviously in on the joke that that you know those creators get in the car in one issue and crash it in another it that that kind of blows your mind in a way that you know tying it back to grant morrison it kind of it blows your mind in that same kind of way doesn't it where you have that kind of your third eye opens to use kind of Grant Morrison's lingo. You know, it, it kind of makes you think, oh, mm-hmm. oh, actually, this, you know, it, it changes changes your whole perspective on it, doesn't it? It's like when you read uh, Pax Americana and you get to the last page and you realise you've only read half the issue and you need to read it again from back to front. It's absolutely. Pax Americana, like, you could, talking about podcasts, you could do hours and hours discussing that issue. Yeah, I've, cons- I've considered... Um, Doing like a bonus for like the Patreon, doing like a like a short bonus series of like multiversity mm-hmm. where like I go really deep into each issue. But like who has the time? <laughs> Matt, should we should we tell Kieran about our uh, our our new running joke we stumbled into with the with the comedy that is Zorn? Oh god, yeah, we had some uh, one of our like friends of the show, um, Jose. Um, he um, asked he asked an open question on Twitter about Zorn because he's showing up. The characters showing up in the Secret Empire issues when it comes to like the X Men's uh, kind of new Chian that they're they're living on, and um, and where's you just told it pointed him to Wikipedia or something, didn't you? Just said that no. I pointed him to. They said Google. Yeah. Just search. No one has Don't. the time to explain. I can't. Your... I can't sum it up. <laughs> you know. You know what. You, you know what. You could have read instead. Go on. My comprehensive Zorn explainer that I wrote for Comics Lines. Oh, actually. see, we're gonna have to direct him to that. Save I if I if I would have known that offhand, I would have sent him there. Yeah. Sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I did a deep dive into Zorn's continuity last year because, uh, like, I, I am like that massive Morrison fan. Yeah, uh, dude. Oh my gosh, because we were because we were joke, and that's what started the joke of a Zorn cast because yeah, we we, we were like, it. it could be an entire show. Well, Jose, there you go. If you're listening, you can go to Comics Alliance and look for that article now. It's a bit out of date because. I wrote it just as he was like showing up again in Uncanny X Men, mm-hmm. and I've not read that Uncanny X Men run, so I don't kind of know how he gets from there to Secret Empire. No, I've so not read that. So if you if you want to know how like what his current deal is, I I, I don't know, really. But it, at least there's a direction now rather than because I actually felt I was like it, I I was like trying not to sound flippant. I was like going get please go to Google. Trust me. If I try to sum this up. And then people tried to start summing it up, and I was just like, you're probably doing better than I could, because I couldn't sum that up in about, like, because Zorn gets, like, I would say, like, this go up within any more, anything Morrison, it gets detailed mm. fast. See, that's not Morrison's fault, though. No, Morrison, no. Morrison's Zorn is incredibly simple. Yeah. Really? It's Magneto. Yeah. Morrison's Zorn is, is Magneto in disguise. It's a Marvel decided, yeah. oh, actually... We That's when it got complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so the Morrison's you're right, Zorn the Zorn is completely simple. It's what happened afterwards that got it complicated. Yeah. Because then they decided he had to be an imposter and then he had a twin brother. And yeah, that's that's when it gets really and then like the the collective comes involved, like everyone always forgets the Zorn is in Avengers. Yeah, new that Avengers. was right early on in the New Avengers with the it was something to do with the fact that there was a cloud of mutant powers that the Scarlet Witch cast yeah. out, but it was hovering above the Earth, and then it yeah. went into Zorn or something. Yeah, it's, it's like the 
fourth New Avengers arc, I yeah. think. Oh, God, she's been a while since I read that. It's the third or fourth arc of New Avengers. It's like Mike Diodato arc. Because I kind of want to bring a little bit more back to the... We were talking about... When I think about Animal Man, and I think about how... Because I actually... I've been... Ever since you said that was your issue, that Animal Man was your issue, I've actually been thinking about it a lot because it's been a while since I've read it. But I do remember pretty well because it is like the ultimate example of of a character confronting the creator that basically wrecked his life. Mm-hmm. Like, you wrecked my life. Why did you do that? And he gives his really, and then it's like really weird when it's all said and done, and then eventually John Ostrander and Kim Yale bring him back in Suicide Squad. Yeah, I was, I was going to bring that up if you guys didn't know about it. I, was de- I, was oh, I only knew about that. Again, bring from like the end of your episode, Journey to Misery, where you mentioned that the creator shows up in Suicide Squad and that was uh, going to be a question the, 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 I think he's the, the writer, writer sorry yeah the writer yeah. and he has like um like a typewriter like in like a little like front like it's kind of like a backpack but facing forwards with like like straps under his arms <laughs> and like, he gets like he gets killed like immediately absolutely bonkers I like I, I, I the story is behind that that's, that's crazy like why did they put him in it then? If they were just going to kill him off straight away? I think the idea is like, a, as because as, Mo, like Morrison's story in Animal Man is about like how like the 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 writer of a comic is complete control, and Morrison essentially surrendered that control of himself. Right. When he introduced himself into the DC universe, I have like a like a little head kind of know that like the writer exists within Limbo, the Limbo that's introduced in Animal yeah. Man, the. Um, where Merryman is. Yeah, so he's now sat like, there waiting. If, if I ever get to do... I've been thinking a lot about recently, just like, just kind of like his thought exercises, coming up with like little pitches for like characters and stuff. Like, mm. I've got like a couple of Captain Britain ideas, like a Wonder Man idea, and I'd love to do something with uh, Limbo that brought back the writer. Yeah. That'd be such a callback. That'd be such a callback as well. Like, that'd be game of factory. It's like... I love that sort of like I remember one there there was a funny story of me and Morrison I when I, I got the it was it was before the Incredibles got in before, before the Invisibles got collected into any sort of major trades and I found the entire Invisibles run in a half in a in a half price books used bookstore chain and and I found one and I found the entire run and like bought it all and like read it within a week and I felt I feel like I felt like I think my brain got rewired <laughs> like like for like an entire week I was like guys I think my brain got rewired by Morrison for right now I, I felt like I was like in another consciousness or something like that after reading the Invisibles like that was all I read for a week was just Invisibles everything I was yeah, like that, that, that's like that's very much the intention yeah. I reckon maybe not to read it in a week but the intention to rewire your brain is definitely it, it, it definitely deepens your mindset and like Wow, this is a completely right. Like, I didn't mean to re. I didn't. It's like I just start. I just could not stop reading it because it was just so infectious. It was so freaking addicting to keep. Because I was like, finish one novel, next one, finish one, next one. I just kept. Yeah. Like that was all I was doing because I just got so hooked. I had a similar experience because I, I think it was either early last year or late the year before. I I finished reading Animal Man and I went straight into reading Doom Patrol. But like uh, this was the first kind of I'd read I'd read Multiversity I'd read the Batman uh, Morrison's Batman run and I'd read Flex Mentallo before I read um, Doom Patrol, but then I kind of went back mm-hmm. and, and I went and I, I went straight into Doom Patrol. But then at this point I was like 
obsessed with Grant Morrison. And so I, I, I picked up his book as well, and I was reading his book at the same time. So I was reading like Doom Patrol, like in the day on my on my iPad or anything like that. And then and in the evening when I go to bed, I'd, I'd be reading his book. And then like I watched the uh, the Sequart movie, um, Talking with Gods, I think it's called, like the Grant Morrison documentary that they they did. Um, with him as well and kind of seeped into all of that and there's a there's a part in his book where he talks about the idea of of immersing yourself completely into i think he i think it was john lennon or the beatles i think you'll have to help me out with that kieran the idea of uh I've, I've uh, you know, there, there's a there's a um, there's a yeah. moment in in the documentary and he and he mentions it in his his book super gods as well where the idea of um if you want to be of something or become of something you immerse yourself deeply in into it um and so he i think it was john lennon or the beatles he wanted to have like a a spiritual experience so he'd listen to the music on repeat he'd have pictures surrounding him um he'd like kind of lie in front of the fire would like surround himself with beatles and john lennon um and and i kind of as i was reading that i kind of thought Wow, I've actually been doing that, but with Grant Morrison's stuff, and it, and it did kind of rewire my brain a little bit, and I just kind of started seeing fiction completely differently. And he he talks about the idea of you being in complete control of these characters' lives because you can you can read a page and then you can flip back three pages. And he said, you know, so at that point he realised that, you know, if a character is killed, he's not dead because he can just go back three pages and he's alive again. Um, and that kind of yeah, so the 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 first comic that I was tempted to bring that I decided not to but I think this is the perfect time to talk mm. about it the first comic that I was tempted to bring was Ultra Comics oh right from Multiversity oh, yeah which which yeah. does that like that's what the entire that's what the entire issue is about well Multiversity is about it because uh, you guys know who the bad guy of Multiversity is yeah it's the it's the reader mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah it's you you're, you're, <laughs> You're the bad guy of multiversity. Uh, I love it's such, so much. It's such a good but, um, series. Uh, speaking of uh, Super Gods, uh, the book, mm. I I don't like that book. Do you not? I didn't enjoy it. No. I thought it was... The problem with it is it starts off like like a, like a history mm. of comics. There's like three books in one, and any one of those three books would have been good if that yeah. was the book. But because it's three different books, and so it becomes like so it's it's like a history of comics and then it becomes like an autobiography yeah and like it's a history of comics up until like young Grant Morrison starts reading comics and then it's an autobiography of Morrison's career until like he starts making comics and then it's kind of like a how to it does shift I remember I read it directly after reading um, the uh, Untold Story, the Marvel Comics Untold Story, which is mm-hmm. obviously a completely different book, but that's, that has a single um, purpose, really, which is to, to tell, to chronicle the, the history of Marvel Comics. Um, and so to read that and then to go straight into Super Gods... It was it was quite an easy transition at first because, as you say, it starts off with that kind of um, objective chronicling kind of aspect to it, but then he, it does it does drop straight into and then I came along and this is me, this is all about me, and then it kind of it, it did change into a semi autobiography really, which I found it a fascinating read. 
um, I don't know whether I loved it or hated it. I think it, it just was kind of a fascinating article for me. But um, but yeah, I can definitely uh, I can definitely see why you didn't um, you didn't gel with it. It's, it's one of those things. Where, like, um, one of the things that I'm trying to like do a lot more as I'm an adult is kind of go, oh well, that's not bad, but I didn't yeah. like it. And also have a sense of like that was good, and I like I never want to I never want to read it or watch it yeah. again. Or like I'm glad I experienced that. I like so with like with Super Gods. While I don't quite like it and I've got criticisms of it, I'm still glad that I mm. read it. Whatever that gave me, as like a person, as a critic, as a fan, like. It's still beneficial to like my growth as a person. If you want to get like, you want to go into like Morrisonian concepts of like how fiction and non-fiction yeah. influences that sort of stuff. Going, trying to bring us back to Animal Man twenty six, which um, I went into reading Animal Man knowing that that issue was coming, like knowing that moment, like not in this issue, but a few issues before, where Buddy Baker turns to you, the reader, and says, "You know, I can see you." Like I went into <laughs> I went into Animal Man expecting that, but like I can't imagine what this issue would have felt like as a conclusion to that series, because you know Morrison at one point goes in to just starts thanking editors and creators and friends, yeah. and it, it it does just it feels to me as someone who literally just picked this issue up you know today and reread it, um, it feels like an anticlimax. So I can't imagine what it must have felt like back then to. To come across this episode, yeah, I, I, I find it quite a satisfying climax, but anticlimax isn't wrong. Like it's not a wrong mm. description of the issues. Like it's a purposeful anticlimax. Yeah, yeah it's not an unintentional like, one, which would be more frustrating, I imagine. And like throughout the issue, he goes, "Oh wait, this is a superhero comic. Here's some superheroes. <laughs> oh, now they're dead. Oh, buddy, you like here's some villains to fight. Now, now you're angry at me to get some action going when the issue starts." So, like, Morrison's very, very aware yeah, of what he's yeah. doing. And it's kind of bonkers to me, like, I don't know how young he is, but, like, oh, this just occurred to me. Morrison was probably younger than I am now when he wrote this. Yeah, I imagine. Sir, yeah. That's... Wow. <laughs> and what was, he, what was he writing, I wonder, when now that he's, like, kind of, if he'd be, like, our age now, what would he be, what would he be, mm. I suppose he'd be on near the end of Invisibles, I guess. Yeah. Which would have been another trip entirely. Well, literally a trip. <laughs> that, 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 like, I don't really get too hung up on, like, oh, I've not accomplished this yet because I'm, I'm such an age. But I do get hung up on, like, wow, they did that at that age. So I'm, I'm like, while I'm talking, I'm just giving a quick Google to see how old Grand Morrison yeah. was. I hope this this podcast doesn't when, become the existential crisis of Kieran Chiak. I, I think that's okay. <laughs> okay, Grant Morrison was born in 1960. Yeah, and this came out in 1989, so, so he was two years older than you. Yeah. Okay. I've got I've got two years to write. So in two years, years so. we're going to get Mossy issue 26, <laughs> where there's going to be a Kieran monster <laughs> inserted <laughs> into the narrative. Well, actually, I've got I do have an idea. I've got an idea for a story influenced by Animal 26. But it's not a comic. Okay. I, uh, I've got this kind of like nebulous idea for um, a D and D campaign. Oh, awesome! That would end with the players fighting me, the DM. Oh, dude! 
That's amazing. That's such a good idea. And that work that lends itself to DMing really well. Did, did you guys have you ever? It's, a, it's an obscure piece of like um, video game history. Did you ever play the the Simpsons game that was just called the Simpsons game? No, was that like it wasn't the arcade oh. one? No, this was on like like PS. I think it might have been on like PS3. It was on PS. Yeah, it was on PS3 and a bunch of different oh. systems. They released it. It was a multi-platform game. No, I never played. Yeah, it. I think it was like early in like the last gen so it was on like PS2 PS3 Xbox Xbox 360 um because the bad the bad guy the very final boss is Matt Groening <laughs> what, what, what what okay and I need he, a- draw, he draws um he has like a like a magic pen and paper and he draws and creates the Futurama characters to go and fight you no what? way so you're fighting like waves of Bender and Zoidberg and Fry and Leela to like try and get past, so it's like it's like it's like literally like waves of them. It's like multiple Benders and Zoidbergs and Fries and Leela, and you're like fighting past them to get to McGraining at the end. That's great. I I I need the I need the the get this now. And <laughs> it's on it's on YouTube. You can, you can watch like the final boss fight and the cutscenes and stuff on YouTube. But yeah, that, that I think because I played that before, like I got back into comics. I think that might have had like a big influence on like my understanding of like meta narrative. Yeah. And like how much how important it is to me as like a fan and a creator. It's quite it's quite a rare I, thing, isn't it? Like that kind of because um, it's not exactly fourth wall breaking, I suppose, is it? Because obviously Deadpool does that kind of fourth wall breaking, and um, and loads of other shows. Like I've just finished watching the new series of House of Cards, and they brought the bring like break the fourth wall in fa- fantastic ways. But it's not it's not the same thing, is it? It's it's about it's about creating. I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain, isn't it? Really, it's, it's about creating layers of of reality and and acknowledging. And I suppose Morrison acknowledges more than most the the idea that each reality is as valid as the next. Like he even mentions in this issue mm-hmm. that Animal Man is as real as he is. You know, more so because he's around before him and he'll be around after him. And he's but he's alive in kind of like Batman. He's alive in the hearts and minds of of kids and adults everywhere. So surely he's more alive than someone who's who just inhabits one space. Yeah, that's like Morrison said. Um, humanity's greatest invention is Superman. Yeah, because like, we like we we created someone to save us. Uh, we created this like perfect hero, who who will who will always be there for us, and like that's that's key to my understanding of Superman. Superman's my favorite character. Uh, I get like I get very emotional talking about Superman and thinking about Superman, which I Same do here, often. Man. Uh, but like the core, the core of Superman is like he will always be there, and he like he always cares, and it's it's the character trait that like if the, if that character trait is there in a character, it really appeals to me. It's why I really like those like the earlier seasons of the Return of Doctor Who. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like my, my my favorite Doctor Who stuff is like the Doctor Who that is like. Every life counts. Every human is amazing yes. and important. Yeah. No one dies. And there's another character who fills that gap. And it's a character that I'm missing at the moment because he's not around in a form that I'd like him to be. And that's Groot. Oh, okay, yeah. Did you guys read the recent Groot miniseries? Not the new one, the previous one that came out like, around Super Wars time. Yep, I just read that not too long ago. Yeah, because that has a moment... Where, because 
it has this it has this amazing trick uh, throughout throughout the series of whenever Groot says I am Groot, it's kind of in like blocky text mm-hmm. that has like the image of what he's talking about. So we, the reader, know he's like trying to say like I've been split from my friend Rocket. I'm trying to get back to him because we yeah. can see the words I am Groot with a picture of Rocket mm-hmm. Raccoon in the back of it, but the people talking to him don't understand that. It was a really clever thing that they, uh, that that he did. Uh, oh, it was a Jeff Loveness that wrote that. It was Jeff Loveness, yeah. Yeah. But there's uh, a bit in like issue five or six where one of like, the elders of the universe uh, says to like petitions Groot saying like, "Is it all worth it? Is like the universe worth it? Like, like like what? Like why is the universe worth it?" And the entire page is just Groot saying, "I am Groot." In big blocky letters to take up the entire page, but like in those letters, in like the negative space, those letters is like the entire Marvel universe. Oh, wow. It's Miles Morales. It's the Fantastic mm-hmm. Four. It's the Guardians of the Galaxy. It's the Avengers. It's um, like Aunt May. It's everyone. And that was the moment where I was like, oh no, like Groot is one of those characters. And there's little bits of it in uh, Bendis's run in like the last arc. Oh well, like, oh no. Groot is a character that, like, he he just like he cares so much for yeah. life, mm-hmm. and like Groot is love. And so, and like I don't like it's kind of blasphemy, but like, I really don't like Baby Groot because I think Baby Groot's very like one note and like like weirdly like violent. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. That is weird, isn't it? It's like it's like a kind of like a tonal shift all of a sudden. It's like wait, yeah, what? Did weird. you guys read the? Free comic book day, all new Guardians of the Galaxy yeah, issue. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. There's a bit in that where like Groot just like pulls out someone's eye. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, he's like what? Surprisingly <laughs> dark, isn't it that issue? But yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know how we got from there <laughs> to here, but Superman's yeah. very important. Groot is, Groot is essentially the Marvel universe. But I think Superman. also, like, well, first of all, that's that's a hell of a sentence. I love that right there. Groot is Marvel Superman. Yeah. Yeah, I, I never would have thought about that before. Yeah, but it makes total and sense. I, I, it really does. I mean, like I was, it's funny, like one of, one of my oddball little threads that people seem to get a kick out of is I watch all the superhero movies with my dad. Like people seem to get an immense kick out of that lately because they people really seem to go, oh, so you watch all the, yeah, my, my dad's my movie buddy for all the superhero movies. Like all the DC Marvel stuff, my dad and I go together to see it and he got me in the comics way back when I was a kid and and kind of so and and always fought, kept that love fostered in some way or another even when I wasn't reading as my like, then when I got back into it like when like it was like the books I would share with them were usually Superman and Thor and because those are two of his favorite characters as a kid when he was reading comics when he was a kid so yeah I got to have a deep connection with Superman Superman and Thor are sort of like the two characters I have some of the like deepest connections with and like comic wise and then it kind of flows from there it's like learn later like my dad was a big daredevil fan so there that there that goes there so yeah i so when you mentioned superman i just went oh that's so cool because that's that was one of the characters my dad and i kind of shared a mutual interest in the thing for me with superman i think everyone expects it to be all-star superman Mm-hmm. But it was actually the Jeff Johns, Gary Frank, uh, Superman and Legion Superheroes arc. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Because I, I, I didn't really have much exposure to the Legion um, outside of 
I'd read like the Tony Bedard Supergirl and the Legion of Superheroes book that was going on at the same time, but this was kind of the return of like the classics, the classic Silver Age Legion. Yeah. And seeing, oh no, like Superman's message lives on to the 30th century. And then like digging into it more and learning about like, DC 1 million and kind of like mm-hmm. taking the time to learn what Superman's message is and what he's about and who he is as a character because like, I always argue that Superman isn't an alien he's the most human of all uh, superheroes like, yeah that, that's when I really really started to latch on to Superman as a character and and also I like to tell people like some of my favorite Superman stuff is usually like the oddball stuff like like the um, like Superman's secret identity I know it's an elf's world but that's another favorite Superman story of mine because even though it's an elf's world re- as an elf's world's version of Superman it's a very kind of easy way to tell people, oh, this is kind of like why I dig Superman. And it's like, oh, yeah, Secret Identity. Just, I guess one of my Superman comments I like to recommend people from time to time. Because... Yeah, Secret Identity is fantastic, especially with that. Because like, I don't think Stuart Eminem did much at DC. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some like, weird stuff. like When he was like a... like He's always been a workhorse artist. But if you look at like, it, like Eminem's credits from like the 90s, there's a bunch of stuff where like, you wouldn't expect him to show up. But uh, it's crazy. Secret Identity is remains one of his best pieces of work. I agree. I mean that that's why like one of the books, and then because it was like it was kind of weird. I got into DC I, like when I was when I got back in the comics back in like late nineties. I, I got back in through Busex Avengers or Busex and Perez's Avengers run. So it was like, but how I got in, heavier in DC was sort of like kind of random stuff. Like like I didn't I didn't get Secret Identity until later, but. I actually found myself really getting the Superman stuff a little bit more when uh, I read JLA and the Nail. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that was that was an amazing like it's, it's a Justice League story, but it's also an amazing Superman story and how Superman was like if like how the circumstances were different. It's like how they show like he was like keep he was like living in like an Amish like an Amish community for a period, and then when he had to get then he got back out there and he was so sort of like yeah it's like. He got into the world. That's when he started getting He kind of got to experience it for the first time as a little bit older. It's such a fascinating little look into the character. Like, like some of my favorite Superman are usually the ones that take a different take onto the character and play with it a little, and play with the like kind of play with it, but still kind of ultimately go to the like he's he is the most human of us. He's he really like he's the hero that really does care about us. I like I like you guys. You're like, I want to make sure that you're all safe at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. I, I wrote a thing for Comics Lines last year about uh, the Kents and ha- how each incarnation of Superman is informed by the Kents mm-hmm. and their relationship with him, whether it's intentional or not, because the Kents raise him to be human. And exactly. that, like, that's who Clark Kent is. He's a good-natured Kansas farm boy who is also Superman. Like, people say, like, oh, who's the ma-? Like, is Superman the mask? Is Clark Kent the mask? And it's it's, it's neither and it's both. Mm-hmm. Like Superman is like Superman isn't who he is, but neither is Clark Kent and the Daily Planet fully. Mm. There's there's like the line between those, which is who he is, who like only like Lois and like is like closest friends see. Yeah. But when you look at something like Morrison's work on Action Comics, where the Kents died when Clark was young. That Superman is a bit more brash, a bit more cocky, a bit more bold, because he doesn't have like his parental influence to to kind of be like well, slow down a minute, son. And then you look at like Man of Steel, 
where the Kents are just assholes and you've got Superman who's an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, that the whole thing that kind of ties everything together really is this idea of optimism, isn't it? It's the idea of it being this this truly optimistic character, and that's what and that's what I love about Grant Morrison's work as well because he is an optimistic creator. Like he he loves the idea of superheroes being superheroes, being bright and colourful, um, and mm-hmm. you know he he brings that back in many ways, and he fights against. You know, he's ahead of his time because a lot of his '90s stuff is is fighting against that kind of the grim and gritty. And you know, even in this issue, he mentions yeah. the idea of of characters being realistic, and and it's just like he kind of mocks that in a way while ultimately being the most realistic because he it's him himself in there. But it kind of it, it pulls it pulls from everything. It pulls from you know his 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 Superman, his All Star Superman, is, is is ultimately you know intensely optimistic character. And and it just kind of that's why I love Kirby's work. That's why I love the Fourth World. You know, Mister Miracle, Orion. Like they they are they are good characters that triumph easily over evil. You know, there isn't a balance with Kirby. You know, it is good will win. Good good does yeah. win. Good is good stronger. Wins. You know, yeah. there isn't even a contest. You know, they they battle, yeah. but good will ultimately flourish. And I think that's that's one of the things I love about about Morrison's work, especially and and Superman. Is is at his best when he's simple. When that is the message that he is. Like with Kirby, you take the like the baby from the evil planet and raise him on the good planet, and good wins. You take the baby from the good planet and raise him on the evil planet, and good still yeah, wins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm very pleased that that kind of optimism is. If it feels like it's if it's not at the core of Rebirth, then that's something that they're very conscious of bringing back into Rebirth. Exactly. And that's I think that's why it's yeah, worth. I've been. In, I've been a massive, massive fan of Rebirth. I was super uh, wary and kind of pessimistic after after the DC Universe Rebirth number one one shot. I was like, ooh, ooh I don't, I don't know. But it's it won me over very quickly and oh, yeah. very yeah. effectively. There's not much like there's not many Rebirth books that I, I don't think there's any that I don't like. There's some that I don't read. Mm. Exactly. They're not for me. Like I don't read Harley Quinn. I don't read a couple of others, but like those are my favorite characters. Yeah. Like, and a lot of them are like characters that weren't my favorite characters, and now they are. Like Jessica Cruz and Simon Baz. Love Jessica Cruz. Yes. I I love those guys, especially Jessica. Jess, I'm a massive, massive Jessica fan. After what Sam Humphries has done with both characters. I do need to catch up with that series. Yeah, I mean, I I caught, I read a bunch of it, and it was funny, funny because one of my friends, uh, my friend Laura, she got me, like she was kind of like telling me, like you haven't read Green Lanterns yet? I was like, no, and and when I told her I was been reading it, she's like, wow, I cannot believe you haven't been reading it by now because, because I figured you dig the heck out of Jessica, and I said, okay, and I like, oh my lord, Jessica and Simon are two of my favorite characters now <laughs> instantly. Be- because it's like it's like by the time I got through reading uh, three, I was like, these are two of my new favorite characters now. I I love them. They're awesome. Rock on. The only thing I need now is the return of the JSA, the return of the Legion, and the return of Bart Allen, and I will be a happy camper. Same here. Like once that all happens, I'm like, all right, d- you, good job, good good show, guys. I don't expect Bart to come back anytime soon. Just because there's like there's a new kid Flash who needs to establish himself. Uh, yeah. I really I really like Wally, 
as Kid Flash. Mm-hmm. Then there's the other Wally, who is the Flash, but he's still like, kind of a Kid Flash and kind of a Flash. I think right now, bringing back Bart, although he's one of his characters, would muddy the waters, but hopefully we can get a nice big Flash family within oh, the yeah. next couple of years. Bring back Jay, bring back Max, bring back Jesse, bring back Johnny, bring in John Fox, bring in XS, bring in the entire Flash family. I, that will be amazing. I, I, like the day that happens, I think you'll will probably be like a massive like nerd out from like a lot of the DC people going, "It's back! It's all yeah. back!" I think that's what garnered a lot of love from DC Rebirth was the was Wally coming back in the first place as well. Like a lot of people, that that's their Flash, isn't it? Really, like Wally West. I I I I'm like I'm, I was I was like glad that Wally came back, and it was like it was an emotional moment for me. It was a, it was a really really emotional moment for me. But I saw the kind of like that critics hat where like, what does this mean for the new Wally West? Does he mm. get replaced? Like, and then there's like the proper nerd in me like, I won't be satisfied with the return of Wally West until he turns to someone and says, "Wait, where are my children?" Yeah. Like yeah. that. That really really upsets me because it's it's kind of something that I can't fathom. I can't fathom that sense of loss. Like, have you guys read the Nearness of yes. yeah, the Astro yeah. City? story uh, and Bendis did something similar in Jessica Jones recently I can't imagine just the overwhelming sense of grief to like n- to first of all the, over- the overwhelming sense of grief to like know that y- your children aren't dead mm-hmm. they don't they don't and never existed mm-hmm. that's one level I think it's even sadder to not know that yeah, to not to not have that to not even have yeah. the memory of them, and that's and again, it's about layers of reality, isn't it? Because we know that as readers, we know that he's suffering that yeah. loss, and we and he's not so he's un- not expressing until that. that's addressed with Wally, because like he remembers yeah. Linda, it's like how much like how much does he remember? Like any any Wally West that isn't constantly single mindedly searching for his children and trying to bring them back is a Wally West that I don't. I mean, they've understand. got to do that, right? They've got to bring that element into it because you know they're, they're, they're alluding to the fact that time was stolen which implies that yeah. this is still the same universe or they're, they're still the same people everything happened but it just it's been stolen from them in some way so you know you'd imagine that his his children are, are out there somewhere it isn't it isn't like a crisis or kind of nearness of you situation where that person is is unwritten and they never existed it's almost like they they have to be there yeah, somewhere. Also, They've just been stolen, maybe. I feel like story. Like I understand why Wally came back in Rebirth because like that's the big emotional moment, and like everyone mm. likes Wally West. But in terms of like continuity and like as a big continuity nerd, it would have made more sense for it to be Bart Allen based on what happened to Bart Allen at the end of Flashpoint. But that's just me being a big continuity <laughs> nerd. Yeah. yeah. Bart Allen became the yeah, White yeah. Flash and joined with the Speed Force. To help Barry Allen create the new. Future. But I love what I love what Josh Williamson is doing with um, like the new Wally West Kid Flash, and I think it's that. Yeah. I think you're right. That was like a big kind of concern of people, wasn't it? Really, was this, you know, well, what does this mean? You know, does it mean another white straight male character is going to push, you know, a marginalised character out out of the you know out of the way? And I think the way that 
you know Josh Williamson's handled that is is really well because he's mm-hmm. he's a completely different character. He's his own character, and I think almost he's turned it to the point where he's not can't, gone from this kind of replacement character to being his own his own being in his own right and like deserving of being in the story. And I think that's um, that's fantastic what he's done with it. Yeah, it's, like it, it's clunky that they're both called Wally. It is a little bit. Uh, for a while, I, I, I was only referring to the original Wally West as Wallace mm. to, uh, to, to, to just try and have... Because so, I don't want to be saying White Wally West yeah, all no. the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I, really, I really like the new Wally. I like the stuff with him and Aqualad in the recent Titans, Teen Titans, Deathstroke. Ah, I've not read, not, I think not read that's that yet. I think that's a, that's a good like friendship that's going to develop in the pages of Teen Titans. Oh, cool. I'm looking forward to. Uh, so yeah, I, I really really like Wally, and I hope he's around for a good long while. And I expect he will be, especially with um, Wally on the Flash TV show yeah. mm-hmm. being more like him than like Ginger Wally. Well, I'm conscious of time because we've been we've been rambling now and we've uh, gone off on a thousand different tangents, and I oh, could. Yeah. Oh, oh absolutely fun and it's it's one of those things like i i've not had a chance to talk too much about the flash i wanted to we're gonna have to have you back on the show at some point or we're gonna have to chat with you in some capacity again because you wrote an issue you wrote an article recently about hyper time and i there's i can't even begin to open that door on when we're like nearly two hours into a podcast already but i definitely want to talk to you about that at some point that'd be fine i can i can talk for a long time i know you can like knowing you now Hyper time is real. We are living in hyper time. <laughs> yeah. Is is the summary, and then is the thread that everyone now instantly wants to pull out. <laughs> well, that, that, that's actually teaser. For <laughs> that's it. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we can we can maybe like do some multiversity or like other Morrisony stuff. Yeah, we would absolutely love that. Well, um, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciated that. Um, as where as uh, as is tradition on podcasts. Where can people find you on the internet? The quickest place to find me is on Twitter, where I'm at King Impulse. I mentioned that I'm a Flash fan. Impulse, Impulse has been <laughs> in my name uh, online for the past like ten years or something. Yeah, at King Impulse on Twitter, which is where you can find me pretty much every day ranting about comics and plugging the Kickstarter. The Kickstarter, the comic is called Mossy. You can find it on Kickstarter. Just search Mossy Number One. The full title of the Kickstarter is Mossy Number One. Mike Kieran, Shiak, and Tracy Shepard. But I have a name that's hard to spell, both as the first name and the last name. So you can also, if you go to my Twitter at King Impulse, it's the pinned tweet. And I don't know if you guys do show notes or anything. Yeah, we'll do. I'll put them in the notes as but, well. Uh, oh yeah, we get show notes. Yeah, but if if you just go to my Twitter at King Impulse, it's the pinned tweet, and it's like every other tweet <laughs> at the moment as well. We're like three hundred pounds away from being done, so we're really yeah, trying to get there push, yeah. as quick as we can, so we can hopefully work towards some stretch goals. We really hope you'll check out the Kickstarter. We're really, really happy with it. We think it's a fantastic project and we think everyone will really, really like it. Everywhere else, you can find me at goodeggpodcasts.com, which is where you can find the four shows that I do. So there's Journey to Misery, which is where I explain complicated comics, characters, and continuity to my patient and perpetually perplexed fiance, Helena Hart. The most recent episode was a Wonder Woman one that went through the four different origins of Wonder Woman that were canonical at one point or another. Next week is going to be Angela. After that, we've got another X-Men-focused episode. We've got some cool stuff coming out throughout the year. There's also Animal Crackers, which is kind of the reverse of that, where Helena talks to me about her specialist subject, which is animals and 
animal culture, animal behaviour, animal science, oh. like zoological stuff. Uh, so that's Animal Crackers, that's uh, at CrackersCast on Twitter. There's Zero Hour, which is kind of similar to this, but in a, in a broader sense, it's a comic book biography in podcast form. So I talk to one guest about their history with the medium. So from their earliest memories, comic and comics and comics culture, through to the present day. And then there's the Monster Society of Comics, which is myself and Al Collins with two guests every month. We talk about the best comics we read that month and the biggest news that everyone's talking about from that month. So you can find all of those at goodeggpodcasts.com. Aside from that, you can find me at CBR, at Polygon, The Guardian, some other places soon, hopefully. I'm kind of all over the place. I just got verified on Twitter. Oh, did you? So that's that cool. cool. So yeah, uh, but yeah, the, 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 the big one is Mossy. We, yeah. I really, really hope you listen to this. You'll at least just look at the Kickstarter, have a read about what we're doing, watch the video. I, I genuinely think it appeal. There's something in there for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really get a chance to talk about like the, the Morrisonian influence on it, but like there is some Morrisonian influence in there, which I think I mentioned in the interview I did with mm-hmm. you, Matt, for uh, Multiversity. Yeah. So uh, I talked a little bit about that in there. But yeah, I really, really hope you'll check out Mossy. I think you'll like it and hopefully help us get to that final goal. Well, I mean, as, as we said earlier, like we're honoured to be the first people uh, outside of your friendship group that have read it. I'm happy to uh, to say that it is it is absolutely worth yeah, every penny. It's, uh, it's so brilliant. Really, uh, really good. And, it's, and it is both um, very familiar... Uh, and very kind of reminiscent of, of you know the you know childhood stories and like kind of that kind of feel to it, which is which is instantly kind of heartwarming. Um, but it's also unlike anything that's out there at the moment. So highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. Um, so really appreciate you coming on. Um, where's where can people um, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at at Geeku Landed. I'm all, usually you can pretty much find me pretty pretty easily. And I have my own site, which is in dire need of being updated at is geekulana.com. And also you can find me at Monkeys Fighting Robots. And that's where also where I write stuff. And yeah, I'm pretty easy to find pretty easy to find for the most part. Yeah, I'm the same. Um, I'm at Matt Loon on Twitter. Um L U N E. Um you can find me on there, that's where you can find links to all of my stuff. Um I uh, we do this show obviously, which is That's the Issue, uh, which you can find at That's the Issue. Um, which is uh, on Twitter. Um, show notes for this will be available on my blog, which is um, Awesome Source Comics. Uh, that's S O U R C E, um, awesomesourcecomics.com. I used to do a lot of writing on there. I kind of podcasts have kind of taken the focus at the moment. Um, and I mm-hmm. also do a lot of writing on Multiversity. I do um, reviews and interviews over on there as well, multiversitycomics.com. And as Kieran mentioned, there'll be an interview with him and Tracy Shepard going up um, early next week, Monday, Tuesday, then. Um, and uh, I also do another podcast called uh, Super Comic Battle Wars, I think it's called. Yeah, we're only two episodes in at the moment, um, but that's where we um, we take top five or you know five issues of comics that we loved from the previous month, and we discuss them um, and uh, and kind of uh, get a consensus of what were the best issues from that month. Um, so once again, thanks, Kieran, for joining us. Really appreciate you coming onto our show. Um, it's been awesome to chat with you, and as you say, it's been awesome to make a new friend as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'm happy to come back anytime you guys Thank want you to. very much. 
Oh, that'd be. And awesome. how when you get that I... multiversity podcast up and running, we want to be involved in that as well. Oh yes, please. I'll I'll reread like multiversity <laughs> for like forever and then. I I actually now want to reread it as we were talking. I need to reread that again. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, uh, well, that's it from all of us. Um, thanks very much, and um, we'll speak to you next time. Goodbye. It is. Xmas. <laughs>